Hi guys, I am here with amazing artist Martin and I hope you will enjoy our conversation. Uh, Martin, do you have to add anything to it? No, it's great. I hope you enjoy the show. You are listening to Arta Show, Stories Behind Art, a podcast that inspires creatives to pursue their passions and boost their creative thinking. My name is Natalia Motta and I've been catching up with some of the most successful artists in Asia to talk about their ideas, processes, tools and lessons learned. Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be in your studio and, and see all this incredible work. So thank you so much for your invitation. It's great to have you here. And uh, I would be so happy to, not only by podcast, uh, but uh, by, by YouTube channel to uh, show uh, all your collection. But first of all, I would like to ask you if you could uh, quickly introduce yourself, who you are, where are you from, uh, and what do you do now? I'm Martin Rees. I was born in Canada. Um, I did have this very short career in the uh, Canadian military. I was very much a product of suburban Canada, which was uh, in the late 1960s, quite a utopian version of the world. And um, content from that is always somewhere in my collage work. I went to the military because, um, again, out of technology, uh, a kind of a passion for technology. And in those days, the the pinnacle and the epitome of technology in Canada was this F-104 airplane. Uh, I had a, a kind of a rather short career in the, in the military training to fly these jets, but didn't stay with um, aerospace or uh, the military, amazing as it was. And uh, I, I always tell the one story that there was this film that they showed you when you were learning to fly these planes where, um, aside from the procedures and uh, the facts of how to fly it. At the end, this narrator on this 16 millimeter film said, and you will become the machine. And it's a, it's a sentence that uh, always stayed with me. And I, and I often think about it. And more and more, uh, humanity is becoming the machine. It was also just after the 1968 release of 2001 A Space Odyssey, where Hal the computer decided that the problem on the uh, mission to Jupiter was the people, and, uh, and he uh, decided to kill the astronauts. And uh, the sa this sentence, um, open the pod bay doors, Hal, has become the kind of rallying cry for artificial mm -hmm. intelligence. But anyway, after um, this short uh, kind of abortive military career, I went into architecture at the University of Toronto, uh, which is a a long period of study, five to seven years, another number of years to get a license. And I kind of traveled around in the world of international architects, working in offices and projects all over the place. And what I always say is the main takeaway was the, um, the three-dimensional modeling technology, the virtual uh, environment where increasingly architecture is conceived and managed and uh, so we use that in the practice of architecture but it's easily uh, kind of taken to be used um, in other ways like in art in a, in a very loose and casual way it's a wonderful tool for many reasons because um, it's kind of easy to use and um, 
and it can then be uh, applied to the real world. Like the models mm -hmm. can be given to machines and they can make real objects. So there's a strong connection between what you're doing in the virtual real world and what can happen in the real world. So about a year ago, uh, after 30 years in architecture, uh, I decided to just do this artwork full time uh, because it is quite time consuming. My version of it is kind of like, uh, like rolling up balls of string. It just kind of goes on forever and ever. How long is a piece of dino floss? So uh, I guess um, after living in Europe and um, in New York, I, I've lived in Hong Kong for 20 years and it's my home. And in those 20 years, obviously, Hong Kong culture has had an increasing influence in what I do. I live here, I work here, and because such a, it's such a fabulous culture, uh, it's informed what I do as well. And there are pieces we can look at where you can see these I always say every day in Hong Kong there's a surprise. Maybe that's true for every Absolutely, place, yeah. but for me it's just such an incredibly rich place. And I love it as much as when I first set foot here in 1985. Every day is, is great and that uh, energy and that exuberance is definitely part of the work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You actually touch base a, a few things which are super interesting, but you say, ah, oh, it's fine. Like, yeah, I was a pilot. And yeah, I had this like incredible experience. Like, I mean, not many people are uh, flight fighters, right? So could you actually tell us a bit more about the pilot? Because I know also that you are, um, it, it, as you mentioned just now, it's all about uh, places and experience uh, of your life. And, and definitely this is what you said. So being a pilot and, and give you also this, this, this thoughts, which now translate to to what you do, to the artworks. So if you can tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, the whole, for me, a lot of the things that you see on the wall are very much just from my personal experience. Um, the, the whole world of aerospace is a fascinating world. Everything is on those airplanes for a reason. And um, though at times, there were times, I mean, I'm aware of the fact that World War II footage is playing in the background here. And, at times, like for example, Battle of Britain, these these instruments of aviation were pretty critical to uh, conflict, armed conflict. But as we've talked about, armed conflict may be completely different in a nuclear world where you really don't have that choice anymore and you have to find consensus through negotiation. But we've said we're not talking about politics. Um, I was in the Canadian military for a very short time. I didn't stay with aerospace, but um, the machines are very beautiful. The air, I think um, they teach you everything you need to know. But uh, how did you actually end up being a pilot on the first place? Like, uh, that we, was an accident or you were like, oh, I really want to be a pilot? Yeah, accident. we didn't have... We didn't have conscription in Canada at the time, so I volunteered. I was 17, and it was very simple. I just wanted to fly the jets. There was <laughs> there was a certain you know attrition to get in, but um, you could do it. And I hear nowadays that they have actually have trouble getting people to fly F-18s because there's not enough hours to become a commercial pilot. But um, they're, the machines uh, were and are increasingly spectacularly beautiful uh, pieces of technology, and that's what that's what drew me. I mean, the first time I remember pulling out and you test the brakes, 
and you can feel this tons of aluminum under your feet and you realize how heavy this thing is. It's very impressive and then it just uh, you know, can fly straight up. It's all uh, impressive, but, but in the service of armed conflict, that was the purpose. And I mm. think nowadays uh, we still have some of the vestiges of armed conflict, like the Americans have this trusty old dump truck, the B-52, that can just uh, blow things up real good wherever they want to. <laughs> but uh, it's not really the way of the future. I think conflict is uh, much more teched up now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We start to actually talk about uh, ghosts in the machine. So could you actually tell us what is the idea behind ghosts in the machine? I think... Um, the sort of my current thinking about that is just that as our individual and collective identities are increasingly influenced um, by these technologies to the point that, as Baudrillard said, it becomes difficult to distinguish which is which, uh, which is an old idea. It's Narcissus, the myth that he looked into the water and didn't know if he was his beautiful reflection or himself. Mm -hmm. And whenever I see an entire train load of people in Hong Kong, fixed onto their phones, it, there, that, that question does raise about, am I me or am I the stuff about me on the internet? Absolutely. So the ghost in the machine is kind of that idea that uh, there's no question that the ghost is us. Mm -hmm. But, um, but uh, I, the word ghost has some scary, you know, uh, yeah. overtones, which is not intentional. When I say ghost, it could be the spirit in the machine. But mm -hmm. the reason... Ghost is because um, with the ghost, there's always a bit of a mystery, you know. Where is it? Who is it? Mm -hmm. uh, I see funny. Um, I see funny trails on the video at night, and I think, what is that stuff? You know, is that a video effect? But it's so random, you know. So there's the element of the unknown. Where is it? Kind of a shell game of where is the person and where is the machine, and we're all living it. It's not science fiction. Absolutely, absolutely, and. Um so there is, you actually produced so much uh, interesting project in the one big scope uh, ghost uh, in the in the machine, and I would like to actually talk about about few of them. So I think one of the most uh, for me interesting part are the collages. So uh, so you you already mentioned that they are they are reflecting. To all your life experiences and cultures uh, where you live, um, could you tell us a bit more about how you how you're producing them uh, and and the process itself? Well, for me, um, my memory it, collage for me is is similar to the way I remember things. All these things are kind of collaged on each other. But now that we're in the realm of of technology, appropriately uh, sitting in front of the war machine that I make many years ago. Um, the uh, machine gun is one of the examples of the last century of, uh, of the power of the machine, uh, especially in the, I don't know, 1870s. Gatling invented this gun that um, could spit out an unbelievable amount of bullets and just produce this um, unprecedented and unbelievable um, degree of, of killing. And, it's an, and, and the way we spit out cars, I mean when I talk about North American suburbia, where everyone has to have a car to get home, are we gonna have 10 billion cars on this planet? Uh, there's probably not enough room for that many cars. So technology has this ability to multiply and produce rapidly and, um, and with precision. 
And so it, uh, it does call upon us even more to think about how we implement these ideas because they become very powerful. They enable uh, a population explosion and uh, weapons of mass destruction and the information revolution. So for me, the collage is just um, a casual way, in a way, of sticking down all the stuff and putting it together. It, most of it is three-dimensional. Actually, a lot of the objects are from three dimensions. I've always taken a lot of pictures. Uh, a lot of my friends are photographers and say, um, I take more pictures than they do. <laughs> I just take lots and lots of pictures. And again, it's the kind of machine gun analogy. All that stuff can be just sprinkled uh, down. I'm not saying there isn't a thought process. There are um, adjacencies. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the things I used to love about China when I traveled to China, which was a lot in the last mm -hmm. 10 years. You would see these things that we're not used to seeing side by side, like there'd be a black kind of stream with oil sludge, uh, you know, going through some neighborhood that you didn't know if it was under construction or under demolition, and there'd be a pig drinking it and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, some kid peeing into it. There are all these, you know, and then you'd see a trainload of brand new battle tanks. None of it really... The adjacencies were just kind of um, different to what we're used to. So the opportunity to explore adjacencies is there, putting a, a Buddhist icon next to a rocket engine or, uh, or as Werner von Braun might prefer, a Christian icon next to a Saturn V rocket engine. These are just um, kind of purposeful adjacencies, uh, that I like, but it is very personal. I mean, it's just stuff that I like. Um, and yeah. so I'm not really making a, uh, you know, message, look at this and you'll learn something. It's uh, very intuitive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned that it's, uh, some of them are three dimension. Uh, so how you are uh, uh, putting it together, like is the, you, you are cutting the parts of the images and then you are sticking it in a three-dimension way? or Yeah, it's to... a total free-for-all. Um, uh, it's, it's actually very nice how with the software things can travel round and round. Uh, there are three-dimensional environments where I'll take a photograph and make it the environment so all the reflections uh, okay. are on the objects are in that environment, but then I can also use Photoshop, acres of Photoshop, just sticking things on and moving them around, and also um, literally cutting them out and gluing them together. It's all the same thing, really, memory and iconography and photography and uh, dazzling the retina. That has mm -hmm. always been my mm -hmm. intention. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, talking about, uh, because you are for the last 20 years in Hong Kong, uh, could you tell us about example of a collage which you did, which you done, uh, which represent Hong Kong, which has uh, the, there is there is one we can look at it after. There is one which um, again it was a collection over time of favorite images, and uh, it wasn't just made in one day. It is it is kind of a, a life's work in the sense that it's a process that I've been doing for many years and that keeps going on. But that Hong Kong. Uh, collage is uh, a collection of favorite photographs from the last 20 years that have been arranged uh, in a way to um, just uh, be comfortable together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and we can, mm -hmm. we can look at it after. Yeah, that's the Hong Kong one. That, sorry, sorry, that's that's been evolving over time. That's a photo I took in 1995 in Mong Kok. The planes used to 
fly low over um, Kowloon City, and it was just surreal. It was just a beautiful event. And this is the guy who's been selling our family fish for 25 years. I just went there actually a few weeks ago and gave him that mm -hmm. photograph, and everyone was moved by that. And uh, it's, it is a statement of the individuality. When I went to see him once, um, he took that shrimp and put it in the fish's mouth, and he had this little theater and said, look, the fish is eating the shrimp. And I thought, wow, that's the weirdest thing I ever heard. <laughs> so I put it in. And uh, I'm in here with um, our dog, uh, who uh, sadly passed away recently. Aww. And even, um, the, you can see there's a runway light from Kai Tak Airport, and this, this piece, which is over there on the wall, Hong mm -hmm. Kong 1997. And uh, there's even, um, some police, I was out recently and uh, people were shouting at the police, so I took a picture and put that in. And these are the two uh, famous lions, um, Stephen and Stint, who were the, the founders of the Hong Kong Bank. So those lions, oh, yes. those lions yes, have names. And, uh, because there's two of them. I am um, obsessed with um, imperfect, uh, broken symmetry it's called. Things that look symmetrical but aren't really in nature works that way. Uh, nature makes slightly different versions of everything. Nothing is ever exactly the same. You also mentioned before the interview that uh, you recently you dis discover abstractions, so you produce actually a few uh, abstract works. So could you tell us a bit more about... Uh, yeah, the, the abstraction was always there. Actually, everything that I'm saying, it all happened kind of in parallel and at once, in a kind of a Zen moment. It's all happening you know, in the now, as uh, Eckhart mm -hmm. Tolle would say. Um, the abstraction, I think, I used to um, like smash TVs in the old days when they were um, cathode ray tubes. They'd make these beautiful uh, destroyed pieces. And uh, indeed, when I went to, it's quite funny, I used to go to glass factories in China and I always used to, they got to know the fact that my favorite part of their factory, every glass factory has a place where they keep all these tons of broken glass because they break a lot of glass. And I used to go there, aside from their beautiful machines, which I love, but uh, especially the ones that were out of date, you know, the older they were, the kind of cooler they looked. But I always used to go to the broken glass area. So there is... Um, this balance between creation and destruction and uh, abstraction, you know, being like stuff smashed, um, has always been uh, the counterbalance to creation, and I love it. It's beautiful. But yeah, in the 1990s, the computers were able to produce fully three-dimensional models of very abstract stuff, uh, morphing, for example, from one to another and then stopping part of the way through, and it's, uh, you know, God knows what it is. So uh, the, the abstraction is always there and has always been there, but it's great to be able to use the computer to explore it. And for this work, uh, are they also three-dimensional, or they are, they are in the... Uh, Pretty much everything is three-dimensional. Certainly the abstraction is always three-dimensional, mm -hmm. both in real and on the computer. Mm -hmm. it's, it's basically stuff that's smashed. You know, there's a story from architecture, I don't know if it's true, he'd, he'd have to confirm it, but Kolb Himmelblau, uh, I once heard that he'd said he took a, he's a, a great architect from Vienna, and he once took a conventional model of a plastic model of an office building and threw it down the stairs and glued all the smashed pieces together where they landed and issued it for construction. You know? 
I mean, it's that analogy that, uh, that you can find, back to serendipity, that you can find things through accidents. Uh, and, um, and maybe, maybe Frank Gehry might agree with that idea. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, your next uh, big project was to create the sculptures, but sculptures made of uh, electronics and, and uh, other parts which you need to put together. Um, could you tell us a bit more about about this part because it's it's, it's involving not only imagination but also a, a bit of uh, engineering skills to actually build it's, it. It's very it's very funny that you ask that. It's I've never been asked that. It's real, a lot of my friends are engineers, and it's very important for me to say that I know absolutely nothing about engineering. Uh, I've never tried to be an engineer, and the whole, sure? <laughs> the whole idea that, uh, no, actually it's very important. I think if I was an engineer, I wouldn't be able to make any of this stuff because it wouldn't make sense. No, it's much more intuitive and random than that. There's absolutely no science behind it. I mean, there are a few basic rules, like, like direct current has a plus and a minus, so you've got to connect a red wire to a to a red wire and a black wire to a black wire, and there's a few you know, basics of electricity, but a lot of these things I just kind of took them apart and just put them together. It's not inventive the way, you know, the way someone like Huawei or Apple would mm -hmm. invent something. It's uh, much, more, much more random and accidental. I think in engineering, probably there are accidents. They see things as they're as they're reviewing calculations, but not as accidental as smashing a television and gluing it together the way it hit the floor and it still works. That's not engineering, that's something else. And yeah. it's a very important distinction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but still, I mean, you, can, you, you connect it, uh, like let's say, now we are talking for people who are uh, maybe not seeing it on YouTube, but, but listening to the podcast. So we have this, this sculpture, which it's, uh, which is in a like a plastic square box. Uh, we have we have this uh, sign war machine somewhere on the middle. Then we have three screens, and then we are seeing like a lot of uh, uh, parts, uh, machine parts. You've uh, raised a few very important points here. You know that really are central. I love Cornell's work, Joseph Cornell, and here we are in Cornell Center, ironically. But um, it's very personal. What I like about Cornell is that I can put the stuff that I like, that I really care about, that's special to me, you know, like a hope chest or something, in there. So these memories of World War II, it used to be a tape loop, but I've changed it to be digital. These are things that I keep and uh, care about. So that's why it's in there. Um, that's that point. Um, the, the candles, by the way, we, we talked about Hong Kong. They're from Hong Kong. They're Hong Kong people and businesses, families and small businesses, they have these um, little uh, temples um, in their house. And, um, and I always like that. I like little glowing lights and things. Uh, my friends say I like uh, shiny things, and, and I do. I like the mm -hmm. reflections, getting back to the whole narcissistic thing. But it's very personal, and um, a lot of that is the kind of psychological dysfunction of me. These are my obsessions and the things I want. You know, the stuff is for me. All that stuff is in there because I like it. Yeah. And um, the wires uh, reflect a kind of, uh, in a way, I mean, that's just where they landed when I wired it up. I mean, there is an insanity. It's not like everyone would go out and make a, a box like this more than anyone would go out and build an entire city out of Frank Gehry buildings. You know, you just, mm. you do what you do. It's very personal. 
art is, art is very personal. It's very much so a, a reflection of the person in there, and that's what makes it interesting because as society has a, could have a danger of becoming homogenized with this technology that is kind of uh, uh, all-seeing, um, at the same time, uh, people are still very much individual and have the privilege of writing entirely their own stories. Absolutely. And uh, the wilder and the more individual they are, the better. Absolutely, absolutely. And because we talked about this before, actually, interview, but what do you think art brings now to, to this modern society where, uh, like, you know, everything gets connected and, and uh, we have internet, we have uh, all the devices to help our lives. What, what, is, what is the mission of I suppose, art in, this? in a way, maybe it does what it always did, which is that um, it's a place where individuals can express themselves and be themselves. So in this world of technology-enabled homogenization, where it's probably convenient for institutions to have everyone like be a number, and uh, we know there's bad precedents in the recent past for people being given numbers, um, art is a great place for people's identity to escape and exist and thrive and be itself um, just for the sake of being. I, you know, they used to say, um, I think therefore IBM, you know, like mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's the way to really preserve the power of the individual. Absolutely. I think in the internet and these technologies uh, we all know technology is a double-edged sword. It can do one thing or the other, good or bad, but it certainly has the potential to empower the individual to rise up and exist uh, at par or above the wave of, of uh, internet-based homogeneity. Absolutely. And yeah, as you mentioned, like we are all uh, individuals and, and thank you God, we all love different things because otherwise it would be very crowded in some places. So, uh, so it's, it's, it's great to, to have, to show different ideas and uh, interpretation. And also I love the fact that you are going a bit to the past and, and showing what was in the past and, and, and the memory and the nostalgia of, of uh, what was back then and, and bring, the, as you mentioned, that technology, right? Which kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's always with us, yet it's changing all the time. So something which was 20 years ago, like the uh, Katia program, which, which was uh, 10, 20 years ago, very innovative, maybe it's not anymore, right? So it's always changing, and, but you are kind of protecting this by producing this this kind of art and uh, and showing the technology. We touched earlier on in our conversations about the uh, modernist idea that less is more, and I've had recently I've had hardened modern architects try to convince me that less is more. But we also quoted Ingwe Momstein, who said, um, "How can less be more? It's impossible. More is more." So I think uh, coming from the ornament, the Baroque spectacular ornament. I, one of my favorite examples was Bach, who, I don't know much about music, but he laid down a set of notes and said, okay, here's where the bar is for the minimum for playing this piece, but if you embellish it, if you're a good enough musician to add a few thousand extra notes, good on you, and some people did. So embellishment uh, and ornament, which is the opposite to less is more, it's more is more. Size matters and more is more. That's really what's driving my thinking. I so agree with you. <laughs> um, Size matter. <laughs> yeah, and more is more. And more is more. So the ornament, um, 
opens up the, the possibility to have more is more. And I think all of the technology, in a way I've been saying, all the machines I photograph and use in the collage, most of them are obsolete. In fact, whenever you go and buy a machine, the minute you put your credit, down, it, credit card down, it's already obsolete. So in the, in the ornament is this possibility to, to do expression, and some ornament is better than other, and there's artistry in it. And um, so I've been thinking that really all of technology uh, is a form of ornament mm -hmm. and nostalgia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, this is what you mentioned, so most of your work, Baroque style, so you like to input as much information, as, as much things in it. Uh, is that correct? Like, yeah. what, what about the framing? Like, are you, uh, how you are framing your work? There is one, uh, we'll look at it, there is one um, beautiful Baroque frame that I picked up in Dafeng in Shenzhen a few years ago, which accidentally fit perfectly on the piece that it's on. But, um, yeah, the Baroque, there was, I know there was a very established syntax for how all that Baroque ornament came to be, but now we can use it much more casually. And uh, I think it reflected what we're, it reflects what we were talking about earlier, which is that the spectacular uh, magnitude of complexity, both in the micro and the macro world in the cosmos, uh, we don't really understand any of it. And so to kind of whimsically sketch into these realms of infinite complexity uh, is uh, very comfortable and, uh, and that's the space that I want to be in mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. as opposed to you know someone else who might paint a perfect red square on a perfect white piece of paper and that might get them there but uh, I need to have my, um, my retinas dazzled to get to where I want to be. Absolutely, absolutely. Hi listeners, hope you enjoyed this show so far. In this episode, I decided to try something new. And in the second part of this episode, you will hear Martin walking us through his favorite artworks. Also, if you would like to see the artworks, don't hesitate to check out Arta's YouTube channel, where you can see Martin walking us through and see his studio. So without further delay, second part. So this is um, a continuation of, of the story of the pre-GPS days where they had this, these electromechanical devices to aid in navigation of aircraft like flying in cloud at night to a target of the bad guys. And um, this beautifully crafted machine, I call it truth in numbers, is completely analog, completely GPS. But one of my favorite um, kind of anecdotes about this. I bought three of them uh, so that I could take a couple of them apart. It was made in America in the 1950s, I'd say, and the guy um, wrote his wife's name in it, uh, like, like with a heart, you know, so there was this message in a bottle in this piece of high tech, and it's an example of how this stuff can be very personal and very individual, even though it's a, a multiply uh, produced piece of technology. Mm -hmm. It's super cool. Oh, and in the back, I shouldn't say it as an anecdote, in the back is the Hong Kong Feng Shui Compass, which is this beautiful semi-metaphysical uh, device for um, predicting, uh, you know, the good uh, luck of a space. And, and um, certainly the Feng Shui Master has huge influence in Hong Kong. So there's this comparison between that uh, semi-metaphysical 
uh, device and this much more precise device that could be calibrated mm -hmm. for that one job of, of uh, describing where the aircraft was, mm -hmm. which was very important for the guy sitting in it. And can we also look at uh, this piece? Yeah. Uh, so that's inspired, I guess, by Andy Warhol. Could you tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, this is very recent. And actually, in the grand scheme of these pieces that have evolved over decades, I made this in about 30 minutes one day. <laughs> but basically, um, you know, I made uh, Maryland from scratch uh, with a photograph off the internet. And immediately, the question of legality uh, emerges whilst I don't think her family uh, has rights anymore. Uh, I think the photographer probably does, whoever he is, but um, it wasn't really the point. Obviously, it's kind of a, a, a pass um, across Andy Warhol, but Andy Warhol didn't have a 1959 Cadillac taillight and a Sidewinder missile uh, have her kissing those. Uh, it's, uh, and, and I mean that sincerely when I say American beauty, it's not, um, uh, even though I'm Canadian, the, the American flag is, is such a powerful symbol. And, um, and amongst the, the, the political things that it may or may not stand for, there are these beautiful objects that arise out of the culture and that uh, just falls into the realm of art so easily. That's one of your collages. And I can recognize that you mentioned about this artistic view as well, the myth, uh, the Greek myth. Yeah. Is that also why you actually combine your face in it? Yes, absolutely. I, no conversation about any of this work would be complete or, or my personality without uh, a complete and utter uh, narcissism. I think a friend of mine yesterday called it malignant narcissism. But basically, uh, I think the more interesting part of this piece is that when it was uh, exhibited in a much larger form, the curator said uh, in the Hong Kong Cantonese culture context, you can't have a ghost over the door because local people could be frightened by it at night. And uh, so that version didn't have the ghost in it. Yeah, it's quite literal. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the Hawaiian shirt is definitely my favorite attire. Mm. And um, the direct collage of the... Uh, of the man on the machine implies the ghost in the machine. Glorious control is a, is a kind of tongue-in-cheek, and it's a, in a way maybe not humor, but the irony of are we really in control, the more these instruments become precise, um, maybe the less um, reliable they are. I don't know. There's this tug-of-war now between man and machine that is emerging and uh, I'm certainly implying that and interested in it. This that's is actually, I should say, in spirit of uh, Joseph Cornell and the Cornell Center, that's actually my mother's dining room cabinet, uh, oh. the wood cabinet. But I've replaced the um, priceless family heirlooms in her um, cabinet mm -hmm. with my own uh, priceless. priceless heirlooms, like yeah. the smashed Mercedes and how the computer opened the pod bay doors, how. Right. Do you want to show us also the Baroque frame, which we talked about before? That is just another version of the um, electric wayfinder. And this is implying with the switches that you can, you know, those are 
toggle switches from the days of the uh, 1950s and 1960s. They don't make switches like that anymore because they oxidize and they're not that reliable, but it's the idea that the viewer can participate, um, obviously very loosely, but that the viewer can um, get in there and switch things on and off and change uh, the way the art appears and what it does. Of course, you could go way further down that avenue and uh, and artists have. The, the frame is that Baroque frame that we got at Dauphin in uh, Shenzhen quite by accident and uh, in some kind of bizarre cosmic coincidence when I brought it home. I just knew I loved it and I brought it home on the train, but um, it just fit perfectly over that uh, pre-existing Cornell box and they they look, they look like they belong together, so they've stayed together ever since. That was about five years ago. Which oh, yeah. the, there is, um, the Buddha is, of course, a symbol, a powerful symbol of um, peace and the preciousness of uh, all human beings. And um, the, the circuit board has a beautiful, <clears throat> inherent, uh, machine-made beauty, even, those things, even though those things were originally drawn on CAD, maybe by hand or maybe with automation. Nevertheless, it represents machine-made beauty. And so the two uh, really look like they belong together. I've been saying, as we slowly uh, let some of our identity, relinquish some of our individual and collective identity to intelligent machines, we need to remember the, um, the preciousness of life and that the machines should uh, be used to benefit humanity, hopefully. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That is the studio, um, talk about influences, that is the studio of uh, a brilliant British painter, Julian Barrow. He used to, we used to live near him in London, and uh, I have to say we lived across the river. He lived in Chelsea, and we lived in mm -hmm. Little Chelsea, mm -hmm. in Battersea. But on, uh, there it is, on June 20th, 2001, we went to visit him, and um, it was very inspiring to see the stuff hanging all over the walls. In case you come in here and you think, wow, there's a lot of stuff on the walls, uh, it's because there's a lot of stuff, and if it's okay for Julian, it's okay for me. Absolutely. And it's so cool. So beautiful space. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about the show, please visit artaapp.com and sign up for more exclusive content and new episodes sent directly by me to your inbox. Also, don't hesitate to leave me a comment. What do you think about the show and what would you like to hear in the future? Finally, there is new Arta YouTube channel. So in case you would like to see the artworks we are talking about and see our interviews, you can also do that right now. You can find uh, the channel under Arta and also in the show notes there is a link to the channel. Thank you so much and I wish you a great week ahead. Talk to you soon.